Verbal and nonverbal communication are an essential part of our everyday lives. It comes as second nature to neurotypical people like ourselves. But communication is a major obstacle for individuals with autism spectrum disorder. Some people on the spectrum struggle greatly with this and are only able to communicate via electronic devices. Technology has come quite far as have the methods to employ this technology. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm Paul Rakuski, your host, and with me today is Andy Bondi, PhD and co-founder and president of the Pyramid Educational Consultants Incorporated. Welcome, Dr. Bondi. For our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? I'm sort of an old-timer. I started working with children with autism back in 1969 and uh, got a PhD in the mid-70s in clinical psychology and behavior analysis. I uh, worked at a university for several years, and then I became the director of the Delaware Autism Program, which was a, a statewide public school program. And for about the last 20 years, my wife, Lori Frost, and I have developed a consulting company that has offices around the world. So can you tell us about the Picture Exchange Communication System, better known as PEAKS, and what it is based on? Well, um, PAX was something that we developed uh, when working with very young children with autism. We found that over 80% of the children, when they came in under five years of age, had no communication skills at all. So we developed PAX as a way to rapidly teach them how to interact with people. We were more concerned that they were not communicating than they were not speaking. So we first were trying to work on functional communication with pictures and then continued to do everything we could to help develop speech. So you use the pyramid approach in your program. What is that, and how is it different from other learning systems? Well, my background in behavior analysis exposed me to a lot of very effective teaching strategies. When I was working with teachers, special education teachers, or speech pathologists, or psychologists, OTs, PTs. Everyone had their own theory and model and rationale for doing things. And from my point of view, the children only come to understand what we do with them, not what theory we have in our heads. So the pyramid approach is a way to try to organize how teachers and other specialists and parents can create effective educational environments. So it tries to describe what are the core elements in creating a successful lesson, whether it's at school or in the community or at home. Children need to learn in all those environments. Skills need to show up in all those environments. So the pyramid is a way of trying to get people with different professional backgrounds to create lessons that everybody on the team can understand. So there are six phases in your protocol. Can you describe each phase and what the goals are in each of those phases? In the very first phase of PECS, what we're essentially dealing with is a child who probably interacts with things in the environment but may not be interacting with people. So in a situation in which we might offer a child something he likes, a toy, a piece of candy, when he reaches for that piece of candy, a second person helps him pick up a single picture that is on a table or wherever the child is. 
that second person will help the child pick up the picture, reach over, and put it in the communicative partner's hand. As quickly as we can, that second person will stop helping the child. So the child now, when he sees someone with something he likes uh, and a single picture, he picks it up and gives it to him. So that establishes an interaction in which I now do something to another person and that person gives me something I like. That's the very first phase. Uh, The second phase, we try to sort of strengthen that response, make sure children can walk across a room to find somebody, give a picture to different people, ask about different kinds of reinforcers. But in that second phase, we still make sure there's only one picture in front of a child at a time. The third step is now trying to teach the child to make his own choices or her own choices. So we would start with sort of a sharp contrast, something he really loves, like a piece of candy versus something he could care less about, a sock, and teach the child when you see a sock and a piece of candy, you see these two pictures, and give us the candy picture. Then we move into teaching the children to choose when things are equally rewarding, like potato chips and they like crackers, and how do we teach children to make that choice. The next phase, phase four, tries to teach them simple sentence structure, teaching the child, I want, as a single unit, um, toy. That is done in anticipation that later on the child may not simply want something, he might simply comment on something. So we need to start developing sentence structure right now within that request function. Then we would begin to teach the child um, not only to hand over the picture but to point to the pictures. We introduce a little delay between the trainer saying the words, trying to encourage the child to vocalize. And this is the phase where research shows that most children tend to begin vocalizations, trying to sound out the words. Uh, in phase five, we start making sure the child can ask a sim- answer, excuse me, a simple question like, what do you want? because in the very beginning we were trying not to provide any kind of verbal prompting to the child. We also, around that time, try to teach the child some attributes. Uh, which cookie do you want? The big one, the little one? Which balloon do you want? The red one or the blue one? And then the last phase of PEX, phase six, that's when we try to work on commenting. I see the ball, I hear the bird even commenting eventually on things they're feeling, I'm happy, I'm sad, or I'm hurt. So Pex tries to move from requesting through answering questions all the way through commenting. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm your host, Paul Rakuski, and I'm speaking with Dr. Andy Bondi. We're talking about Picture Exchange Communication System, Pex, and its use with individuals with autism spectrum disorder. So, Dr. Bondi, there are many published articles on this learning system. Can you describe some of these and how this program compares to new strategies? It's almost hard to keep up with the publication pace. There are about 150 publications about PECs from 15 different countries. So it's actually hard even for me to keep up because a lot of them are published in other languages, uh, Japanese, for example. PECs, when people are 
looking at all the research, PECS is viewed as an evidence-based practice. Recently, in an article in pediatrics, it was recommended as uh, something that should be offered to children who are having trouble acquiring speech. PECS is unique in that not only are there uh, many case studies, but there are single subject, very strong design showing that it is effective, and it has been part of a few randomized control studies, which is rare in the field of autism, showing again that it is an effective package and effective in public school settings as well. Recently, there have been some studies showing much stronger evidence for the development of speech after starting very young children on PACS, children two and a half years old. So uh, again, the research is continuing, uh, not only on how effective it is, there's research on how to best train parents and professionals to implement PECS and why it is so important to follow the, the protocol as described. So what are some of the recent studies that have been initiated or published? Well, there was a recent study by Laura Schreiben and Alvin Stamer where they compared PECS to a different package called uh, Pivotal Response Training, which is a behavioral package designed to promote speech very rapidly. And that particular package has many years of supporting evidence for it. And they took uh, almost 40 children who were about two and a half years old who had fewer than 10 spoken words when they started the study. And they randomly assigned them to the two different conditions. And they made sure that the PECS was done very faithfully as well as their particular PRT package. And what they found was uh, after six months, the children in the PECS condition had just as many words as the children in the speech condition. Interesting to me was that some children in both groups had not developed any speech. We, we cannot guarantee speech for a non-speaking child at that age. Anybody who promises that is just being unethical. So some of the children in the speech groups after six months had no speech and no communication skills. Some of the children in the PECS condition had no speech, but they did have communication skills because they had learned several of the key features of PECS. So this is why we think that starting PECS for very young children, not only will it not interfere with speech development, it is very likely to enhance the development of speech. So technology has become a major part of all of our lives. How do you integrate technology and various devices within the program? You know, it's true that everybody wants an iPad or a smart tablet in everybody's hand. And there are a lot of, you know, very interesting features about them. My concern, though, is that uh, the use of technology uh, does not guarantee the use of science, especially the science of teaching. We have developed a series of protocols trying to describe how to transition children from PECs to a speech-generating device, an SGD, whether it's a dedicated device or an app on a smart tablet. And there are now a few studies showing that protocol is effective. There are some people trying to use these devices um, to initiate communication, and right now, quite frankly, the quality of those studies is very poor. So it remains to be 
demonstrated whether that technology uh, can be used from the beginning. All of our review of all the evidence and all of our clinical experience suggests that with a very young child or a child who has no communication, it's more effective to start with PECs and then if the child needs to transition because speech is not coming in, uh, then there are specific guidelines which we have posted on our website, PECs.com, about how to make that transition effective. You mentioned earlier that you have offices all around the world, and as the listeners of this program know, autism spectrum disorder is a global issue. So how is this program initiated around the world? We've done workshops in uh, over 60 countries now. We have offices in 14 countries. I think Lori and I have worked in over 30 ourselves, and the children that we meet around the world, they're the same, and the parents are exposed to the same level of stress, and so are the staff. And in my experience, essentially, you know, learning is learning. There are cultural variations. There are language differences that may impact on uh, how we promote a particular phase. But what we have found is that we've introduced PECs around the world. People are publishing studies about successful use of PECs. We have a training manual. It's called the PECS Training Manual, second edition. We've probably distributed almost 400,000 copies of that manual around the world in 12 different languages. So this is something which has a global appeal because essentially the characteristics of the children are the same and teaching principles are the same. So where can our listeners go to learn more about what we've been talking about today? Well, our general website is www.pecs.com. That will take them to a page where they can go to the one in the U.S., which is pecsusa.com, or they can gain access to any of our other websites. So if a listener wanted to tell somebody in uh, France, you know, check out the website, they can go to a French page for taking a look at where workshops are done in France or England or Spain or any other country. Well, thank you, Dr. Bondi, for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. My thanks again to my guest, Andy Bondi, Ph.D., co-founder and president of the Pyramid Educational Consultants Incorporated. We've been discussing autism spectrum disorder. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. I've been your host, Paul Rokuski, and thank you for listening.